Hey now, hey now. We are almost through. After next week, we will have completed the entire novelization of Return of the Living Dead by John Russo, based on a script by uh, Dan O'Bannon. I have a bit of a frog in my throat. <clears throat> I did not. Oh, my God. Terrible way to start a show. <clears throat> I did not want to let it stop us from our task at hand. So I, <laughs> apologies for that unpleasantness. Um, where we last left off, our friends were in dire straits. Um, and as I recall, you know, what, what was really interesting was they were sort of presented with this new conflict that I had forgotten about and that is, you know, barely sort of hinted at in the movie, but like is totally there. And, you know, it's kind of a shame that they, I don't know, I wish that they had kind of expand on it, this idea of like, you know, Frank and Freddie um, needing to be like this sort of conflict of like, no, we got to protect them because they're our friends, but no, they're going to harm us. And obviously they lock them in the chapel in the movie and here, you know, but, but um, I feel like they could have taken it a few steps further and the book kind of allude alluded to that a little bit better. That was in the, the last um, chapter. And, uh, you know, Ernie said in the last chapter as well, I'm going to stay here. You guys can go. They're going to try and uh, get back to the barrel, as we know from the movie, which doesn't work out too well. It ends up sealing their fate. Um, but now our our squadron is about to uh, split further as they see like the, the, the everybody that comes there is getting swallowed up. As we know, um, these these ghouls are not messing around. They're knocking out the streetlights. You know, they're breaking the streetlights. They're luring uh cops in there and uh having a having an extended buffet also uh the mortons uh no sorry morton and ethel i believe it is uh they are both uh dowden they are uh cremated as well as the uh cadaver was so they go the way of the cadaver and they don't really care because they can't to them they can't really die they just sort of change shape that making making it seem like the the smoke is sentient. So all that stuff is happening. Let's go. Chapter 18. Locked in the chapel. So they're locked in the chapel now. Tina was still trying to give Freddie what comfort and solace she could. Solace she could. But he and Frank had passed into a stage of their chemically induced illness where they were beyond comforting. In the reddish glow of the novena candles, they lay in fetal positions on the red carpeted floor, their teeth bared in horrid rictus. That is terrifying. You know what rictus is? Rictus is like, it's like where you're, you, you get, it's like the Joker, basically. That's what it is. Um, Out of both of their mouths came an agonized, growling, that was unnerving to hear. Suddenly, Frank began to foam at the mouth and rolled around on the floor like a dog with hydrophobia. Kneeling by Freddy's head, Tina watched the other sick man with horror. Freddy turned his head slowly and looked up out of her out of a corner of his jaundiced eye. Jaundiced means that uh, you're lacking, uh, whatchamacallit, you're lacking... Uh, or it's everything's yellow. Jaundiced is yellow, I believe. That's the the best way to <laughs> to to look at it. Um, 
Oh, God, jaundiced eye, Rick just grinned. In his hoarse, weak voice, he told her, Dina, darling. He had never used that particular term of endearment on her, and for some reason, it sounded weird. Um, it hurts me. It hurts more than anything you can imagine, he went on, as if merely Ta- talking gave him great pain so it's merely talking is giving him great pain and now i can see the one thing and only one thing can relieve my horrible suffering what honey what is it she asked him desperately wanting to be of more help live brains he rasped <laughs> And suddenly he twitched as if he wanted to make a lunge at her. She jumped back, screaming and cowering against the wall of the chapel beneath a fake stained glass window. It gave off some sort of phony glow, almost as if light was coming through, but it wasn't really a point of exit. Freddie held himself in checked in check with a force with a fierce effort. Freddie held himself in check with a fierce effort. You see, darling, he rasped. I must have human brains to eat now. And I I don't want them to be yours. Freddy, what are you saying? She sobbed fearfully. You must escape, he hissed, before I can't control my hunger any longer. Open the door and go and lock it behind you so me and Frank can't come after you but frank foaming at the mouth was already up into a half crouch coming towards tina brains brains he murmured in his hoarse sick whisper so we have a a, a very different this is very different from the movie <coughs> we have freddie reluctantly not wanting to eat tina's brains and we have frank who in the movie still has his wits about him and ends it in the most macabre horrible way you can imagine he he operates the cremation machine himself and throws him in uh, throws himself in there and and burns up and here he is um he's interested in in a snack um she flung herself at the door and started pounding on it screaming for help at the same time freddie who had been lying behind frank and tina grabbed at Frank's legs in an effort to stop him. Uh, so Frank is trying to stop. So Freddie is trying to stop Frank from grabbing at Tina. Frank fell on top of Freddie. I mean, this is another great thing that they just did not, they could have done in the movie. You could have had this conflict where maybe Freddie is going after Tina and then Frank is trying to stop him before the guys come back in there and, and, and uh, throw acid in his face. Frank fell on top of Freddy, and the two nearly cre- the two newly created ghouls fought each other, biting and slashing as they rolled on the floor. Tina screamed and pounded for someone to come and let her out. Ernie, Ernie, please help me! Luckily, the wiry, sandy-haired mortician had been on his way up from the embalming room with a hammer and nails to stash in the attic. Hearing Tina's desperate cries, he started running. Tina, Tina, he yelled, hammering his fists on the locked chapel doors. Let me out, she pleaded. Please, he wants to eat me. Ernie fumbled for his keys, got the right one, 
inserted and yanked open the chapel doors. He jumped back, ready to bash Freddy or Frank in the head with his hammer if they got near him. But it was Tina who rushed out into his arms, almost bawling him over. Freddy was still fiercely fighting to prevent the attack on his girlfriend, summoning whatever last visages of humanity were yet part of him. So what is sort of, you know, really focused on in Return of Living Dead Part 3, but with John Penny, who was the assistant editor on this film, it was one of his first jobs. Um, I mean, it's here in the text, this sort of like reluctant, I don't want to eat you because I love you sort of thing. Uh, just not done nearly as well or as brilliantly as John Penny would do it. Um, before Ernie slammed the chapel door shut, he saw Frank use his superior weight and strength to get astride Freddy and ram two prongs of a candelabra down into Freddy's eyes. So the acid is not here. I forgot about this part, but he gouges out Freddy's eyes with a candelabra. The younger, weaker ghoul's anguished scream reverberated in the quarter even after the doors were closed and locked. Yeah, I'm blind, I'm blind, was Freddy's muffled, raspy cry. Oh, that poor creature, Tina wailed, stunned by the depth of his love that he would sacrifice himself to save her even though he was turning into a monster. Ernie hugged and tried to comfort her. Don't you worry about Freddie and Frank. There's not, that's not them in there. They've gone to heaven. Those things in there are just dead bodies that want to eat our brains. Um, and get a little bit of Russo, Russo religion right there. It struck Ernie that the speech he just made wasn't too different from the ones he made many times at the funeral parlor to bereaved friends or relatives of loved ones. Frank, or maybe Frank and Freddie, were now pounding on the chapel doors, making them shake and vibrate so much that the lock probably wouldn't hold for very much longer. The racket had bought meat and Bert up from downstairs, brandishing a hammer and a hatchet. Turned on you, huh? Meat sneered. I told you, you dumb broad. Lay off her meat, Ernie warned. What are you going to do about it, Undertaker? Shoot me? You probably like to have corpses walking around here. You're so used to hobnobbing with them anyway. Splinters flew from the doors as they, as they threatened to give way. Help me, Ernie shouted to the other two men. We've got to get some more lumber and nail these doors shut. We're ready to split, man, Meat said. If you're dumb enough to stick it out here, it's going to be your own ass. Bert, Ernie asked with a serious level glaze. What do you say? You got me into this in the first place. Yeah, but it's coming apart at the seams, Bert said in a cowardly whine. I'm not trying to desert you, old poker buddy. I'm giving you the chance to come with us, but you're making the wrong choice. Get going, then, Ernie snapped sarcastically. Don't let us hold you back. See, that sucks. I love the camaraderie between Ernie and Bert in the movie. Hey, that favor you owe me? Yeah. Uh, watch yourself out there. It's great. It's just it's so great. So much is conveyed with such with, with such few lines, you know. The doors continued to splinter at the jabs. Russo's very good at writing suspense. The lock seemed to be holding, but the hinges were being torn loose. Tina, Meat asked. I'm staying with Ernie, she replied bravely. Ernie, we're going to bring you... Uh, Ernie, we're, Ernie, we're going to bring the army, Bert promised. You'll see. We're going to make it, old pal. He was desperately trying to convince himself with his own words. They all headed to the embalming room. Tina and Ernie to get lumber for the bar for barricading the chapel and Bert and Meat to launch their, es their escape attempt. On the stairs, Bernie said to Meat, you'll have to cover me. Beat the zombies back till I can get the 
so I can unlock the driver's side of the van. Meat said, yeah, what about the zombies between us and it? We'll just have to storm them right away through. If I get behind the wheel, I'll unlock, I'll unlock the passenger drawer for you. I'll unlock the passenger side for you. Shit. How come I got to be the last one in? Meat complained. You got a better plan? Bird asked. No, let's do it. They listened at the embalming room door, decided it sounded quiet enough out there, and gave each other a nod. Ernie unbolted the door and flung it open for them, and they charged out into the rain, brandishing their weapons, meet with the hatchet and Bert with the upraised hammer. Uh, un- upraised hammer. Ernie slammed the door shut behind them. They had to cover a distance of about 30 yards to get to the Unita van through the wind, rain, and ghouls. But it was their good fortune that most of the brain eaters were up at the front of the funeral home feasting on the dead cops. They only had to contend with about a dozen of the ravenous creatures coming up, at, uh, coming at them in the side lot, moaning and rasping, brains, brains. So it's so interesting here how, like, so much has changed. Uh, this is very different from from the the movie. Uh, some good, some bad. Um, I would say. Uh, Bert swung his. Uh, Bert swung all his might with the hammer, knocking the head off of a decomposed female. Then delivered a hard kick at her still animated body, knocking her to the wet pavement. Meanwhile, meat chopped and chopped with his hatchet, lopping pieces off of arms and fingers from the grasping, clawing ghouls. Bert managed to unlock the van and climb in, then punched the lock down. He dived to the other side to unlock the other door for meat, who was running, trying to scurry around the front of the vehicle ahead of the two shuffling, relatively slow-moving zombies. Now they're slow-moving. Meat got in and slammed the door and locked it, but zombies were attacking the van itself, and in their frenzy for fresh human meat, pounding the windows with bricks and beating the metal sides with their fists. The the windscreen cracked and a brick came hurtling through, narrowly missing Bert's head. The zombies massed around the van and began rocking it sideways, trying to tip it over. But Bert got the engine started and rammed into gear. The van lurched out, squealing on wet concrete, smacking into two corpses and rolling them over with a crunch crunch. Suddenly, a corpse dangled down over the top of their van, holding on to the windscreen wipers. Instead of windshield, they called it a windscreen. Windscreen ripers. It's snarling, decayed face staring at Bert and Meat. Bert turned the wipers on, but this didn't dislodge the corpse. It started beating on the windscreen, and then it reached through the hole it made made by the brick. Its dead fingers were clawing inch, inches from Bert's throat when he swerved the van, wrenching the wheel to the hard left. The corpse slipped onto one side but hung onto the rim of the hole in the windscreen glass. But one of its fingers was cut off and fell, twitching in Bert's lap. He screamed, ah, and swerved the van, hard right again and back to the right. Meat screamed too, ah, and covered his eyes with his hands. Bert drove the van right up onto the sidewalk, scraping the clinging corpse's legs against the side of the cemetery wall. And at long last, it lost its grip and fell off. Bert cut the wheel and brought the van back out onto the street. Christ Almighty! Christ Almighty, Meat exclaimed, during his, uh, daring to pull his hand away from his eyes. Bert slammed his foot on the accelerator, bail- barreling through the rain towards the Unita warehouse. The finger! The finger! finger! He yelled. 
get it the hell out of here. We 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 remember where that's from. That's in Return of the Living Dead Part Two. It's interesting that seems to have found its way into uh, or originally was in this writing and found its way into that script. He flicked it on. He he flicked on the interior light and meet looked down at the twitching finger on the floor of the van. He yanked open the glove compartment and found a dirty rag. Dived and used it to snatch up the animated finger and threw the whole squirmy bundle out the side window. Shaking all over, he wound up the window. And if in the movie, when they're doing this and they're driving and uh, Spider is telling him he's a crappy driver and Bert says, fuck you, um, it's like a video game. It's almost like a like a old school first person shooter video game uh, where you would have to be in like the car. You know what I mean? Uh, to to sort of uh, do that. Oh, it still says the dad night. Meanwhile, Ernie and Tina were on their way to uh, on their way with the lumber, hammer, and nails, trying to make sure that Frank and Freddie remained safely locked up in the chapel room. But they no sooner turned the corner, following Ernie's flashing beam, when a loud splintering noise. Uh, when with a loud splintering noise, the door hinges ripped away from the jab. Freddie and Frank tore the door open and shoved it out of their way as they came plowing through. Frank was in the lead, snarling hideously, crying, Brains! Brains! Freddie groped behind him, feeling his way with his dead gray hands, dried blood caked in his eye sockets and in rivlets and in rivlets on his cheeks. Tina screamed, Freddie, don't. It's me, Tina. I love you. It's me. Frank and Freddie started coming after her with vigor, shuffling and groping in the hallway. Desperate, Ernie whirled around and looked up at the pull downstairs that led to the attic. He yanked Tina around and pulled her up after him. Then he tugged on the cord and the stairs opened a crack on the trapdoor hinges. In a mad panic, he got the wooden steps unfolded and down. Then with his hammer and nails, he scrambled up into the loft. Tina came tumbling in after him and they both tried to pull the steps up. But Frank was already climbing them and they couldn't lift his lumbering bulk. Thinking fast, Ernie slid a section of plywood flooring over the hatch, and then he and Tina both used their body weight to sit on the plywood to stop Frank from pushing it away while Ernie frantically drove in nail after nail. Freddie kept pounding and screaming for live brains. Sorry, Frank kept pounding and screaming for live brains. So it's not Freddie doing this, it's Frank. Frank is the one that's doing it. Which makes more sense. I mean, it's in the movie, it doesn't make as much sense. But, you know, or once Freddy is blind, you would imagine that he'd just be stumbling around. He wouldn't be able to locate them the way that he does. Freddy, in his groping blindness, called out, Tina, where are you? Oh, Freddy, she wailed in misery and terror. Ernie didn't stop driving nails. So, if I'm understanding this correctly, and I don't want to like reread the whole thing, I guess they couldn't lift up the stairs but because frank was already climbing up them so if you can imagine the door the, the the hatch comes down frank is holding on to it so they just start boarding it up the open space is being boarded up even with the trap door down because they can't that's what they have to do um which is really terrifying to me chapter 19 lying on one furniture mat 
and blanketed with another, Chuck and Casey were snuggling in a post in a post-coital embrace on the floor of the warehouse office, wishing the world could begin and end with the nest that they had made here for themselves, wishing that there was no danger outside. They had made love like there was no tomorrow, and now they were torpid, satiated, torpid, interesting word, satiated, and once again scared out of their wits. They clung to each other in their nakedness, craving the warmth of each other's bodies and the mutual assurance that they existed and therefore might continue to exist as ordinary mortals, despite the occasional raspy cries and frenzied determined pounding of the zombie in the basement who wanted to eat their brains. Suddenly, there's that suddenly, suddenly there's there was a suddenly there was a commotion from a different direction, the front of the warehouse, and Casey screamed. Chuck jumped up and started pulling on his pulling on his chino trousers. They thought they heard a screech and a door slam and a human shout. Then the entrance door rattled, followed by rushing footsteps and loud cursing. Them damn things, one of them damn near bit my them damn things, one of them damn near bit my arm. It's meat, Casey cried joyously. It's meat's voice. He's back. Who's in there? Bert yelled, pounding on the office door. Not recognizing the second voice, Chuck shouted, Meat? Meat, is that you? Who's with you out there? He had his striped striped shirt half on and was crouching, fumbling with his shoes. Casey was struggling into her tight purple slacks and white turtleneck. Meat, she called out timidly. Are you you? I mean, you haven't turned into one of them, have you? Casey, Meat yelled. It's me, babe. Open up. Bert rattled a key into the lock, then swore. God damn it, the door won't open. What's going on here? Chuck and Casey, still partially undressed, shoved the heavily filing cabinet out of the way so that the door could swing in. Bert and Meat rushed into the office, ready to start swinging with the hatchet and hammer. Arms upraised, Chuck and Casey yelled and backed away, trying to duck behind one of the steel desks. Casey, Casey dived onto the floor, curled into a ball and whimpered. Chuck bawled, It's us! It's us, Meat! Don't kill us, for Christ's sakes! They all froze, and each other, they all froze and eyed each other suspiciously for several long seconds, and then Meat and Bert lowered their weapons. Chuck pulled the, the whimpering Casey to her feet. Meat stepped towards them, sniffing, smelling odors of recent lovemaking, and casting a glance at the balled-up furniture mats on the floor. Hey, babe, he said, Looks like you found something to do to pass the time. There wasn't any malice in his voice, only amusement. Chuck, you couldn't get it on with her any other time, place, or way, he said knowingly. Chuck and Casey hurried, hurriedly finished fastening and pu- pulling on their clothing. Bringing them up to date, Meat said, Scuzz bought it. Tina's okay, but Freddy is just about all the way turned into a ghoul. Oh, shit, said Chuck. Poor Freddy, Casey sobbed. I wouldn't be so quick to say poor Freddy if I was you, Meat informed her. Looks like that fucking queeb and some cat he worked with here at the warehouse caused this whole shit and mess. How? Chuck cried, totally flabbergasted. Um, No time to get into the gory details right now. No time to get into the gory details right now, Bert said. We gotta go down to the basement. Get the phone number off those drums. Cripes, do you know what's down there? Chuck said. Atari rotted mummy. And what's left of suicide? 
It ate Suicide's brain. That's why it's still hungry, Meat joked. It didn't hardly get enough to eat. <laughs> Nobody laughed. Suicide's brain would barely be an appetizer, he added, but still nobody dug the word. So after his friend dies, the most horrible death imaginable, being having his brains eaten by a zombie, he's like just sitting there be like, must have barely been a meal. <laughs> that sort of thing. It's pretty funny. Um, we gotta stave the mon we gotta stave that monster off, said Bert. Just long enough to get to the emergency phone number. Then the US Army will come and rescue us. I don't know, Chuck said doubtfully. Have you seen that thing down there? It's a real ugly one, all black and runny. Maybe we can decoy it, Bert said. Decoy, Meat repeatedly repeated skeptically. Yeah, instead of trying to keep it in the basement, let it come out and chase one of us. Then someone else can run down and get the phone number. Shit, who's willing to be the bait, Meat drawled. Well, I've always been a gambling man, Bert said. He slid open the top drawer of his desk and took out a pair of plastic dice. He rolled and got a five. They gamble to decide who should go. Um, low enough to make him sweat while the others took their turns. Chuck came up with double fours. Then meat rolled snake eyes, the lowest possible score. Trembling, Casey rolled and got a snake eyes too. It was between her and meat. They both had to roll again. <laughs> this time he got a six and she got a three. Sorry, baby, told her, but he didn't. He he didn't offer to take her place. So Casey was the bait. I totally forgot about this part. So Casey ends up having to be the bait for the tar man. Since Meat had the next lowest role, Bert told him that he had to be the one to run down and get the phone number. He argued and cursed, but accepted the assignment all because of a dice roll. Or it could just be like, hey, fuck you, old man. I'm not doing it. Um, That's really funny. Uh, although he said... It would really would have been fairer for him and the other two men to roll the dice again for the honor. They worked out their plan and made one of its essential elements out of a length of nylon rope and the two heavily padded furniture mats that Casey and Chuck had used for a lovemaking nest. Then they all took their strategic positions. Casey and Meat went to the basement door and, and Meat started unboarding it, pulling the nails out. The chemical mummy heard him doing this and stayed right at the bottom at the top of the stairs banging on the door and moaning brains 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 meat now now felt better about his part of the plan because he knew what Bert and Chuck had to do and it wasn't a piece of cake but he was still scared if anything went wrong both he and Casey would be goners she stood there shaking all over, wondering if she was going to have the strength to run when the moment came. Her legs were rubbery and weak. She was afraid to die. It would be so unfair. She had barely turned 17. Her entire life. Now we got to get some backstory. and like, It's the end of the book. Her life was supposed to be ahead of her, but she was facing a quick ending at the hands of a stinking, rotting, clawing, biting corpse. Finally, the last nail popped out of the barricaded door. Meep. Meat leapt back, flattening himself against the wall, screaming, brains, brains. The black tarry chemical mummy bashed open the door, which swung outward, blocking meat from the monster's view. It saw Casey and lunged towards her. She screamed, stumbling and uh, stumbled and ran. She screamed, stumbled and ran a jolt of adrenaline, giving her the energy of mindless panic. 
The oozing monster came shuffling after her, rasping and moaning its craven hunger. When they were far enough away from him, Meat squeezed out from behind the door where he had flattened himself against the wall. And this is like, it's this kind of stuff that like you'd rather just watch it than read it because it's just the description. Um, when they were far enough away from him, Meat squeezed out from behind the door where he had flattened himself against the wall and dashed down the basement stairs. He remembered the broken third step and avoided it just in time, saving himself from a bad fall. Casey ran down one of the tall steel aisles of the warehouse shelving, knowing which one to take because it was lighted by candles placed along the floor. At the last candle, she stopped in her tracks and faced the monster that was droolingly coming after her, hissing its putrid breath. She cowered, she cowered, act too petrified to run for her life anymore, which was almost the truth. The monster lunged for her and she whirled and jumped back at at the last instant, the homemade net of furniture mats and rope dropped, dra- draping itself over the tarry ghouls. They made a net to drape over the tar man. And Bert and Chuck jumped down from their perches onto the parallel tiers of the shelves. This is like Scooby-Doo. They wrestled and tugged, pulling the monster off its feet and rolling it into a bundle on the floor. Help us, help, help us, help us, Bert cried. And Casey forced herself into action, throwing her weight on top of the thrashing, heaving bundle while the two men frantically wrapped it in coil after coil of rope. So it took three living humans to to subdue the tar man. By the time Meat had come back from the basement, he had also helped to wrap up the monster. So now you have four people. Did you get the phone number? Did you get the phone number? Bert shouted into Meat's face. Got it, he shouted back. Did you write it down? No sweat, man. It's in my head. They dragged the bundled up chemical mummy oozing slime into the warehouse office and Bert slammed the door and locked it. Then they all took a breather before battling their way out to the van. The next step was to get to a phone. Okay, I forgot that. They're, they 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 go back out to the van after getting the number. So like... This is where you can tell the difference between um, a storyteller like Dan O'Bannon and John Russo, because John Russo goes to like these lengths to like tell us about this like Scooby Doo booby trap. We're going to use these mats as a net and it takes four people. Whereas in the movie, they pry open the door because Bert told them to and he knocked its block off with a, with a baseball bat. They go into the basement. There's a working phone. They get the number off the stencil, the, the stencil number off the side of the tank. They make the phone call. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, it, were, it me- makes so much sense visually in the book. It's like just this super convoluted thing. We have to get the number, but then we have to leave again, I guess, because there's no phone in the basement because they have to get to a working phone. But, you know, it just, I don't know. I guess it's a, t- it's a money and time saver um for production for all that stuff to just conveniently be in the basement i think it works it makes sense the movie ends where it begins in that basement so um i know what's coming but one thing i do remember very clearly not being there is there's no trash when trash gets eaten that's it they don't bring trash back at all which is a shame because it's interesting to see her sort of change. Although, you know, she's sort of like mindless. She doesn't have any brain because 
her brains were eaten. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they barely ate her brains. Um, in any case, next week, as I said, final chapter, and then we'll move on to something else. I have a couple of ideas as to what that could be. I might take a small break, um, but I enjoy doing this reading stuff. And I can't believe that. So it took us almost, uh, almost three months to get through uh, two chapters a week of Return of Living Dead. Next week, though, we'll have three chapters because they're incredibly, incredibly short chapters. It's going to be a short finish for next week. So until then, thank you so much for joining me. See you next time. Peace and hair grease.